My name is Brad Jackson. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are honored to have you here. Um, we don't normally take two offerings. I just want to assure you of that. Uh, that's our not, not our normal go-to. We've thought about it. I mean, it would make sense, right? Just two offerings is better than one. But um, this is a special day, and it's an exciting day in the life of our church. This is an annual thing. And uh, so what we're going to do, I'm going to sort of set us up for where we're going to go, and then we are going to fly. So for about 15 minutes here, we are going to look in Genesis 37. We are spending a year in a series where we're going a big old picture of the Bible, Genesis 1 to the end of the Bible, at the end of Revelation. We're using a tool called the Wayfinding Bible. I encourage you to get one. If you can't afford one, drop back at the desk in the lobby, and we would love to give you one. Um, so we're going to do that in about 15 minutes, which, by the way, Genesis 37 in 15 minutes, um, and we're trying to read down through these whole passages. We're going to be going very quickly through that. Then we're going to take a right turn, and uh, Matt and Alicia, who are good friends, part of this community, and uh, deeply connected to the Congo, are going to come up, and uh, we're going to chat a little bit about uh, what's going on over there and what God is inviting us into more and more. So with all that said, let me pray, and let's just take a moment to breathe before we jump in the Word. God, sometimes it's in those just five seconds of silence that your spirit speaks. Um, from your word, from a song, from a call to worship, God, we, um, we know you're the God who speaks life and hope into sin and brokenness and death. And so we, we cry out for you this morning through your word. As we talk about the Congo, God, I pray that you would be the one who speaks, but you would also be the one who receives um, all glory for what we do this morning. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Genesis 37, let's jump into it. So Jacob, if you are here last week, you uh, heard a friend of mine, Micah, come and talk about Jacob. And uh, Jacob is one of the patriarchs of Israel's faith, but also had a little bit of a, a uh, background that we all you know, wouldn't want, but maybe gives us hope. He had done some conniving type of things. So Jacob, and that name is significant, settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph, that's who we're going to look at this morning, chapter 37 through chapter 50 is about this guy named Joseph. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the son of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. A couple of names to put down for those of you who are expecting. But Joseph reported to his father. So we always choose the easy names like Sarah and Abraham from the Old Testament people. Let's get creative. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers are doing. This is going to be, chapter 37 is so fun. I hope you enjoy it as we read down through it. So we're going we're gonna to jump into the relationship between Jacob, Joseph, and the brothers. And I, it reminds me, about 14, 15 years ago, right as Stacy and I met, my grandma Robinson was dying of cancer, and she passed away right after we met. We had the funeral. There's about 15 grandkids. We're all gathered together, and we're reminiscing. Uh, stories of Grandma Robinson, amazing Christian lady. And somebody, one of the grandkids said, well, just so you guys know, Grandma told me I was her favorite. <laughs> and the rest of us just, everybody grinned and, and basically in unison we said, she told all of us we were her favorite, right? That's good grandparenting, by the way. Um, 
we're going to see the opposite, opposite side of that where one person is told it and it's meant to the one person and how destructive that can be in a family structure. And here it is in verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. By the way, parenting 101, don't do that. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. One day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. It's often called the robe of many colors. It has royal significance. This, this guy is going to be the most important. But his brothers hated Joseph because the father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. By the way, just a quick stop. I'm not going to stop a ton today. But the word Joseph means ad. The, the name Joseph means ad. Just literally A-D-D. That he is added into this story late in Jacob's life by the mercy, the mercy of God. The brothers don't see it as a good addition. But in some way, Joseph is added in and he's bringing the hope and redemption and mercy of God, the continuing story of God's redemption. Verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream. When he told his brothers about it, they hated him more and more. Listen to my dream, he said. We're out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around, bowed before mine. (laughs) Like, don't tell that to your brothers. Maybe dream it, but you don't have to share it. His brothers responded, so do you think you will be... So do you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams. And now we talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bow low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dream meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they'd been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man, man said. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found him there. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him. I mean, by the way, imagine South Dakota, big old prairies. You can see somebody coming from a long, long distance away. And by the way, if you're from South Dakota, that's not a knock on South Dakota. It's super fun to drive through. They recognized him at a distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. You can imagine, he's walking towards them. They're, they're making these plans, and, and they make the statement, here comes the dreamer. They, they, you know, they, I mean, he just gets on their nerves. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of the scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he will die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. You can imagine the joy and just like, finally, we got rid of that robe. We don't have to see it anymore. So they rip, rip off the robe. They grab him, they throw him in the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there's no water in it, so he's sitting down in there, verse 25. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of caramels, uh, caramels, camels in the distance. (laughs) This story's getting good. 
It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'll have to cover up the crime instead of hurting him. Let's sell him. Let's make some money. Ishmaelite traders, after all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled him out of the cistern, sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was miss- missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat, dipped the blood in, dipped the robe in the blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father, With this message, look what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it's my son's robe. Wild animal must have met him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son. He will say, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt. They sold Joseph to Potiphar. And if you keep reading through the uh, chapters 37 through 50, Joseph has this really up and down life. He's sold to Potiphar. He does real well. He interprets dreams. Then he's accused of inappropriate behavior with Potiphar's wife, which actually didn't happen. Then he's in jail. Then he rises to number two in the kingdom. And he saves the country from famine. It's just this up and down. Sometimes sometimes things seem really good. Sometimes they seem really broken. And you could take chapter 37 and approach it from many different angles. You could talk about family relationships. That'd be good for like an hour, right? Let's talk about parent-child relationships. Let's talk about sibling relationships and what that looks like and how often generational brokenness comes from the generation before us. We could talk about sin and deceit. We could talk about Jesus. That just as Joseph was sold, so was Jesus. That just as Joseph was humbled and then exalted, so is Jesus. But I think the point, if you look at the overview of 37 to 50, and this is our last week in Genesis, if you look at all these chapters, I think there's this underlying point in this narrative that is a hopeful promise for us. And it's simply this, that God works through broken situations. God works through pain. God works through deceit. God works through sin. God works through envy, God works through jealousy, God works through whatever it is, God works through it. And we see it in chapter 50. In chapter 50, the brothers have come and they're trying to get food. It's in the middle of a famine. They don't know that Joseph has risen to this place of prominence and he's hidden his face from them in this narrative. And it says in verse 19, they finally realize who he is and they're afraid. They're afraid Joseph is going to kill him. And Joseph replies, don't, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. It's one of those things that we often hear and we often say, sometimes at inappropriate times, it's, it's, it, it can almost be cliche-ish, right? We're, we're good at throwing out those cliches when someone is in a really bad situation, when they're in a really bad time, we often tend to throw out cliches that just don't make sense, like, Someone's going through a divorce and we come in and say, time heals all wounds. In the moment, what what do you want, if someone tells you that, what do you want to do? Punch them, right? Let's just be honest. Kick them. We're not going to punch. We're going to kick them in the shin. But then three years later, that person realized that's true. 
And I think this is one of those Christian promises that some of you are in the midst of really bad situations. And I believe with my whole heart that God wants to use whatever you're going through for good. And I know right now it may seem like that, you're, Brad, shut your mouth, that makes no sense. But I promise you in the journey of it, and often on the other side of it, we realize that God uses the most painful situations for good. Challenges this morning. I'd love to talk for 10 more minutes about that, but I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger and hope you walk through whatever you're going through with that hope. It's all through Scripture. Let's pray. God, I, I think sometimes in these church settings, we want to resolve everything and walk away with it packaged neatly. Um, but I think maybe this is one of those packages that, that um, doesn't feel so neat when we're in the middle of it, God. But I think the promise is, is beyond hopeful. And somehow, whatever we're going through, how painful, how broken it might be, you're a God who can take and not only be good, but use it for good. Pray that you'd do that in all the situations that are in this room this morning. In your name, amen. I'm going to ask my friends, our friends, Matt and Alicia, to come up. And uh, I'm going to do a little setup, and then we're going to do an interview with them. Um, I, I was thinking, as the first time I read through Genesis 37 the last couple weeks, uh, my first reaction to the text was, that's not fair. What happens in it's not fair. And if you think of Genesis 1, the journey we've been on of creation and then fall, and we see brokenness and sin, often it's not fair. Things are not right. And we live in an age where we both believe that God wants to make things right one day, but they're not totally right now. But the job, the mission of the church is to be about making all things right. And... Uh, we get excited about that here at Crossview Covenant Church. We get excited about keep people experiencing a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we get excited about bringing hope and justice to the least, the lost, and the left behind around us. Um, about 16 months ago, the week before I started on staff at, at Crossview, I went out for lunch with the senior pastor at Christ Presbyterian in Edina where I was working, where we were leaving. And he had gotten to know a little bit about Crossview. And, and he, he, we sat down over lunch and he said, Brad, one of the things... I would encourage you to think about as you go there, is that's a church that should be known for how they care about the least, the lost, the left behind. They should be known for how they do um, justice and redemption and bringing the gospel to places that are hurting. And he went on to talk about how to do how that, that really matters in, in, in holistic, sustainable ways. And we've been talking for the last year about how we can do that in the Congo. And we've looked at the different partners we have there, World Vision, the Covenant Denomination there, the Paul Carlson Partnership, which works with the hospitals. Um, and so last year, as we were talking about the Heart of Compassion Sunday, one of the things that we found out is the mortality rates, rate of infants is just alarming, right? And uh, we talked about that, we prayed about that, we brought that to you as a community. And you, in your generosity, gave almost $40,000 um, to initiative to help train doctors and nurses so that infants can survive. That was amazing generosity by you. And so as we've been thinking about this and praying about this, we started to think about another partnership that we have there, and that's Real Vision. And uh, so in June, we threw out this crazy challenge of, what if we ran a race and raised money for clean water? Because once kids live, 
One of the things they then need to live healthy lives is clean water, which they don't often have access to. And so 109 crazy people in this community last Sunday ran different forms of the Mankato Marathon. And the cool thing was, and I, I get choked up about this, the cool thing was not the runners. The cool thing was you and your friends and family raised over $90,000 for clean water initiatives in the Congo. That's awesome. I don't get choked up too often, you can ask my wife, but that one just, oh, every time I say it, just. So then we, we start, we, we've been thinking, so what's the next step? If they get clean water, then they don't have to spend the majority of the day walking to get dirty water. Um, then they can have a chance at education, and the, Cove the uh, Covenant Kids partnership with World Vision, over, I think it's over 7,000 children have been sponsored through that. And part of the sponsorship is to give them a chance at education, right? So many of you are doing that. Many Covenanters across the U.S. are doing that. And uh, so we are going to raise money. It costs $120,000. The Covenant denomination there owns the land uh, where we're going to build these schools. And it costs $120,000 for a six-room school. Not bad. And uh, we've been asking a lot of you. So the, the goal this morning is going to be to raise $20,000 for one of those classrooms in one of those schools. And I think we as a community can do that. And uh, as we were talking about how to share that story, we also thought there's no one better than Matt and Alicia. They, three years ago, you were there for a couple weeks and um, adopted uh, beautiful little Cohen from, from the Congo. And Matt has read more books on the Congo. Seriously, like, you want to talk the Congo for six hours, take this guy out. And so um, I thought it, we, we'd interview them and just ask a few questions to help us get a heart for what's going on over there. So tell us a little bit. This is one of those places the majority will never go. And we will be in friendship, uh, mutual friendship with the Congo for years to come. Um, what was it like? I mean, just tell us your experience there. Um, first, when we walked off the plane, we were met with a overwhelming smell of diesel fuel and trash and BO. Um, <laughs> once you got adjusted to that, you could really take in the, the people and the landscape. And it was a very contrasting place in that... There was so much um, poverty and oppression and garbage everywhere, and, but yet there was beauty in the trees and the plants and um, in the people, really. Their hearts were amazing, and the smiles, you know, as you all saw in the pictures on their little faces, <laughs> just lights you up. But um, it was just, it was very contrasting, uh, the beauty and the hardship that was there. What was, I mean, you, you went over there not, not only to adopt a child, but with, you know, some sort of grandiose ideas of who oh. you would be there. I mean, talk a little bit about that. So we went over thinking, you know, we're going to go and help these people and we're going to bring money and just, you know, give them whatever they want to try and help them. And uh, on the way over, God really laid it on our heart that these are his people too. And we are all created equally and they have something to teach us. And so we just need to be open to getting to know them and learning about them and um, just coming alongside them, really. That's such an important, when we're talking about justice, like that's where it starts. It starts relationally. It starts understanding the humanity of the other person. That, that's so beautiful. Um, just to touch on some of the experiences we had there, <clears throat> uh, some of the pictures you'll see up here, um, this 
this woman uh, made some tailored clothes for us. And uh, we bought some fabric, and we went to her and picked out the designs that we wanted. And when you peek in the room behind her, there was probably about 20 foot pump singer sewing machines because they don't have consistent anybody, power. Anybody under 50, just Google yeah. that this afternoon. <laughs> you can see what that singer, is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we gave them the designs, and they immediately went in the back room. And we're talking full embroidery on all your sleeves, and they're doing it all with these foot pump sewing machines, and they, they couldn't have been happier to have some work to do. Um, but one of the stories was uh, when we were driving to her house, it was in one of the, the slums, and the roads were pure dirt and pitted. I mean, you'd go like four feet dips, and um, the, the picture in my mind I will never get out was there was a mother, um, and picture crowded streets, women with like 40-pound bags of charcoal on their head, because that's how you cook. Uh, they don't have power or gas. So um, there was a mother bathing her child who was probably about four years old and crowded streets, four-year-old girl, just naked, standing in a wash tub as the mother's pouring a bucket of water over her head and she's just screaming. Like, um, and that was just, that was life. I mean, nobody took a second glance. That was, it was bath time. Um, you know, as, as an American, we were just like, well, where's the privacy? You know, <laughs> uh, so um, <clears throat> just a complete different lifestyle shift of, than what we're used to. Um, one more quick thing is some of these children uh, that you'll see coming up here, um, we spent a day down in a small village and I had a camera. And some of these children had never seen a white person before in their life, so they all flocked to us and I started taking their picture and our lawyer who was with us was translating and he was saying they want to look at the viewfinder, so I'd show them their picture. And they said that they had never seen a picture of themselves before. They'd never seen their own image. So I'm snapping pictures of these children and showing them the image of themselves for the first time. And it was just one of those moments in life that you'll never forget. It was just so beautiful. But, you know, the things that we take for granted were, you know, one of those first moments for them in life. That's awesome. So, so take that, and, and th this is one where we're... we're um you know, this next step for us around education. Talk to us a little bit about the education system there. Well, they don't have a government-funded education system there. So all of the education is private. Um, so families need to pay tuition for their children to go. They need to pay for all of the supplies, and then they also um, have to wear uniforms. Um, and so they have to come up with all of the money for that. And in a place where many of those people do not have very much money at all. To be able to send their children to school is more than they can afford, really. And so that connects. I mean, I, I want you to share the one story about that. But, but it's also, um, it points to systemic poverty. And I mean, to talk to us a little bit yeah, about why sure. that. I mean, because that's, that's helpful for our hearts to know why that, that is how it is. I mean, it, when we talk about poverty in America, it's completely different than poverty in Congo. Uh, if we're speaking numbers, they have, uh, it's a nominal GDP per capita of right around $400 a year per person. Um, and the stories we were told from people is that to send their child to private school would cost them $50 a month per child. You do the math. Um, and we, we shared stories with some people and they said they, they had friends that um, they would choose education or food. And they had weeks where they would choose this is the day that the parents eat and the next day was the day that the children eat. 
And you said, how do you, how do you deal with that? And they said, you just, you just go hungry. I mean, they're choosing education over food. It's, there's no way that our American minds can comprehend what that's really like. Yeah. And, it, and it leaves out, if you, if you think about everything that's said, it leaves out a whole class system for a chance at education. And some of that comes to when the Belgians came, came in and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, back in the late 1800s, King Leopold of Belgium basically took over the country as his own piggy bank and was um, just exploiting and oppressing the people um, up through the 60s, <clears throat> where it, during that time they established schools, but those schools were only for the, the Belgian people who had inhabited it. In 1960, the Congolese decided, no, we're, we're taking our country back and kicked out all the Belgians. Well, at that point, you're left with, and I think the statistic was they had one college-educated person in leadership in the country in 1960, and all the Belgians left said, fine, have it. So they were left with this infrastructure and not a single educated person to support it. So to this day, those buildings still exist, but they've just gone into ruins because no one ever taught them how to care for what they had. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you hear that story, it doesn't make sense in our minds. So, so the opportunity, let me just... The opportunity we have then is to, um, through our partnership with our denomination and World Vision, um, to actually build schools where now kids who are being sponsored can go and get an education. Uh, Ron Sider, who's one of the leading evangelical social justice thinkers of our time, wrote a book called Rich, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, phenomenal book. But he said, if you want to give a child a chance, if you want to give a, a child sort of on the margins a chance, give them a chance at education. Give them a chance at education. Give them a chance at education. Then they have the possibility of opportunity. And uh, that's what I believe God is calling, calling us to this week. And I, on uh, Friday night at the concert, 10th Avenue North and Phil Wickham, the lead singer for 10th Avenue North, made this big and beautiful statement about the gospel that, that has been um, convicting and messing with me. But it was simply said, forgiven people, forgive. Right? We, we agree with that. Makes sense. We usually point our finger at somebody else who needs to practice it, but forgiven people forgive. And I, so I, I've been sitting with that, and, it, and I just couldn't get, a, get away from it as I thought about our, our offering this morning. And so I started thinking about it. People who've experienced divine love have to love. Um, people who've been freed will break the chains of bondage that they see around them. And this, this, this is the one I, I, I think for, for people who've experienced the peace of God will bring the shalom of God to the world around them. Will bring peace to everywhere that they see. So um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, Heart of Compassion is not just a Sunday. It's, it's a bit of a sort of two, three, four week season. Um, so if you're not ready to give this morning, that's great. We encourage you to. Um, but we, uh, we understand that for, for some it's a time of discernment. Uh, our goal is to raise 20, we're, our goal is to do one classroom, and uh, I believe with all my heart we can do that in a heartbeat. And uh, so our goal is 20,000, and um, you can give via check or you can get online, there'll be a, a way to give just a heart of compassion online. And uh, so what we're going to do is, I'm closing prayer, prayer of the offering, prayer of our second offering, and then uh, the band will play a song during that, and then we're going to close singing a song about being the church all together. Let me pray. God. Um, thanks for Matt and Alicia sharing and how you've used them um, in some beautiful ways via adoption, but also just 
uh, a passion for a country that maybe many of us uh, just haven't thought about. So thanks. And Lord, I pray that as we give this morning, that more of heaven would come to earth, that there would be less tears, less crying, and less pain, because we, by the power of your spirit, are moving forward being your people. Pray this in your name. Amen.